Before we get started on all the things that I need to do and want to do this morning, I just want to take a moment and thank you, the church and the personnel committee and Pastor Randy for the recognition last week of my 20 years on staff here at the church. And in doing so, I also wanted to kind of clear up some of the questions because people continue to go, you've been here longer than that. Yes, I have. Uh, Sue and I actually have been members of the Heights Baptist Church for 28 years. Uh, I came here. I was in full-time evangelism at the time. And first few years, I continued in that. And then I came on staff for a while with our former pastor, Terry Harper. Then I went back on the field in full-time evangelism and left the staff here and then came back again uh, to do the interim and then to uh, join with Randy. So that's why there's a gap in there, the difference between being a part of you for 28 years and being on staff for 20 But I wanted to say something. You know, Randy commented that we have so many on our staff that have been here a long time. And and that is a testament to to them, but it's even more so a testament to you, the church. Because you have uh, loved us and you have made it a place, one, that you were willing to let us stay here that long. And then second, a place where we felt like we could stay and fulfill our calling. So I thank you for that. Thank you for that honor of being a part of this church and this ministry for so long. Well, it is Mother's Day, and we want to welcome all of our mothers here. So would you just give a round of applause to welcome our mothers that are here and to acknowledge those that we honor on this day. And uh, at the conclusion of the service, we have a gift for all the mothers that are here. As you go out, there'll be some of our young people there giving out some candy to all the mothers. So make sure that you get your candy, uh, because if you don't, everything that's left over ends up with the staff, and we don't need that kind of responsibility. So make sure you get your uh, candy as you go. Another thing that happens every year on Mother's Day, we have a ministry partner that Uh, Pregnancy Health Center of Chesterfield, and uh, one of their big fundraisers is their baby bottle fundraising. And what that is, they go out to the area churches and all, and they pass out these baby bottles, and you may have seen them as you came in. And what we ask is for you to partner with them in the tremendous ministry they have. If you'll pick one up on the way out, and over the next five weeks up to Father's Day, you'll drop your spare change in here. You'll drop your spare folding money in here. You'll drop your spare check written out to Pregnancy Help Center of Chesterfield. However you want to fill the bottle up with money for them. And then if you bring it back on Father's Day, then we'll make sure it gets sent to the Pregnancy Help Center. It's just a tremendous ministry and a tremendous opportunity we have as a church to join with them in this, but even more so for you individually to do that. So make sure you pick up your baby bottle on the way out. My assistant, Jennifer Harris, said that I had to push the baby bottles. And if there were any left at the end of the service, I was in trouble. So make sure you pick up a baby bottle on your way out and take part in that. I was thinking about, you know, my 20 years of service here at the Heights. And I think that's over half of the time that I have been in the ministry. I'm in my 39th year of ministry at this point in my life. And as I was thinking about that, of the 39 years, and thinking about the early ministries that I had in some of the churches that I pastored, early on in my ministry, I discovered a truth that uh, is evident in most churches, maybe not as much in one the size of the heights, but in most churches, you'll notice this. You're either a mama's church, or a child's church. 
And what I mean by that, if you're a mama's church, you're the church where the matriarchs of the family attend. And, you know, they're, they're the ones, the older generation of mothers. And on Mother's Day, what happens is the children and the grandchildren and the great-grandchildren from other churches now come to your church to be there with mama on Sunday. And so when you're a mama's church, what happens is that on Mother's Day, your attendance swells. In fact, one congregation that I pastored, on Mother's Day, we had four times the attendance that we had on a normal Sunday. We not only could not get them in the sanctuary, we could not get everybody inside the building on Mother's Day. But then there's the child's church. And what that means is you're the church that doesn't have the matriarchs. And so what happens is all the families in your church leave on Mother's Day to go to Mama's church and your attendance plummets. Now, I pastored both of those kinds of churches over the years, the Mama's church and the Children's church. And so, you know, Mother's Day and thoughts of, you know, what goes on in church and attendance and all of that, I had a lot of mixed emotions through the years because some some churches, some places it was great, some places it was bad. You're thinking about mixed emotions at Mother's Day. I do want to take a moment today to acknowledge, well, you know, we... We honor our mothers and we take this time in our lives and in our church and in our country to honor mothers on Mother's Day. There are mixed emotions for a lot of people on Mother's Day. For instance, there are those like my wife and her siblings who just recently lost her mom. So this is her first Mother's Day without her mom here. Brings a lot of mixed emotions. There are some of you who have experienced that. Some of you here today who have lost children. And so Mother's Day fills you with some mixed emotions as well. There are others who, you didn't have a a godly mother, a godly example of a mother as you were growing up. Or, you know, you're here today and as much as you would have liked to have had children, you've never been able to. And so Mother's Day kind of tugs at your heart in that regard. And we want to tell you that we acknowledge that. We we know that there are those of you who are dealing with those emotions, and and we honor you. We pray for you as well in all of this. So Mother's Day does have mixed emotions somewhat in it. And to add to the confusion, I decided to pick the strangest Mother's Day passage I could come up with for today. Now, it it is a passage about a mother, or at least a mother-to-be, but I'll almost guarantee if you look around at the other churches in our area or if you go online and look at the, the passages that other preachers are preaching for Mother's Day, you won't find this passage preached. It's not one that's associated with Mother's Day. It's not one that's usually read in the month of May. It's read in December. It, it's read and preached right before Christmas. But I want us to look at it today. And as we do that, I want to begin by just getting you to understand, don't miss out and diminish the the real significance of this passage. Because this passage is one of the most important in all of Scripture. This event that is taking place here is one of the most significant in all of life. It is a passage in which God is pulling back the curtains and beginning to show us His plan for the redemption of the world, for the restoration of His broken world. 
And so don't miss out on that deep thing that is there. But at the same time, as God often does, he has kind of sub-ideas and subtexts and things that he's teaching us in the midst of that about himself and about ourselves and about our relationship with him. And that's kind of the direction we're going to take this passage this morning. So I want you to turn in your Bibles or click on your device and get to Luke chapter 1. And we're going to start at verse 26. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. It says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth. To a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Now, as God led me to this passage today, it is a passage I have preached from before. And so as I was putting this sermon together and trying to to go in the direction I thought God wanted me to go with it, I pulled some of that old sermon from this passage. I pulled some thoughts and some bits from other sermons that I have preached, and I put some new stuff into it, and, and we come to where we are today. And the first thing I want you to see in this passage is this simple fact. God chooses ordinary people for extraordinary opportunities. The passage says that Mary was greatly troubled. She was perplexed by the saying that the angel had made. Now, was she perplexed because the angel said, God is with you? I don't think so much simply in that, simply in the thought that God was with her, I think it did move her to the next obvious question is, what comes next? Where are you going with this as you share this idea? But I think she was also concerned and perplexed and troubled by the first part of the statement where he called her favored woman. I think she was trying to sort through and figure out what was there about herself that would be favored in any way. Certainly wasn't her lineage. It certainly wasn't her position in what she was doing. It wasn't in anything that she had done that would cause earthly acclaim or thought. Mary was really just an ordinary Jewish girl who was doing what so many others her age were doing, getting ready to get married. At this point in time in Mary's life, she was the definition of ordinary. And yet here she has this startling encounter with God through the angel Gabriel. And now suddenly her life is entirely different. Suddenly God comes and presents to her an extraordinary opportunity. And we see it, you know, in other lives and in other places. As we look through history, we see men and women of God who are ordinary people but have been given extraordinary opportunities. You know, being a former evangelist, I think a lot of, many of our evangelists, people like Dwight L. Moody. Dwight L. Moody was born in poverty. He, he grew up and became a shoe salesman. And then God gave him the extraordinary opportunity and he became one of the best known evangelists of the 1800s. 
Or somebody like evangelist Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday was a pro baseball player. And by all accounts, he was rather a crude gentleman. But God gave him the opportunity and Billy Sunday became the most noted evangelist of the early 20th century. Then you got Billy Graham. Billy Graham, who grew up the son of a dairy farmer. But whom God gave the opportunity to become the best-known evangelist in all of history. God chooses ordinary people for extraordinary opportunities. Now, let's be honest. For most of us, when those opportunities, those extraordinary opportunities, those startling opportunities, those unexpected opportunities come our way, our first response is not always, yeah, let's go, God. Oftentimes, we kind of go to the default mode. And our default mode is to see all the reasons we can't do it. And offer the excuses to God about why we can't do it. We become like Moses. You remember Moses when God had given him this tremendous opportunity, this extraordinary opportunity to lead the children of Israel out of bondage, out of slavery. I mean, children of Israel out of bondage, out of slavery, out of Egypt. And what Moses do? He began to share all the reasons he couldn't do it. And Moses, like many of us, he didn't have just one reason he couldn't do it. In case that one didn't work, he had some more in his back pocket. And so God presents him with this opportunity, and Moses said, Who am I that I should go? In other words, what he says is, I'm unworthy, God. And when God worked through that one with him, then he goes, But I, I don't even know what to say. He says, Not only am I unworthy, he says, But I'm unsure. Then he says, You know, what if I get there and they say, who sent you? What evidence do you have? He said, I got nothing to show him. I'm unprepared. Then he gets to excuse number four, and he says to him, God, I can't really talk in front of people. I'm, I'm not a speaker. I'm, I'm not the guy you want for this. He says to him, I am unable. And then when all of those worked, he goes to his clincher. He goes to the real reason behind all of it. He says, God, send somebody else because I'm unwilling. That's what he's saying in that statement. And that's the bottom line for us, isn't it, in our excuses? We are unwilling to accept the opportunity, to grasp a hold of the opportunity. And so we come up with all of these reasons and all of these excuses. But understand this. When opportunity presents itself, we need to forget about what's wrong with us and remember what's right with God. God chooses ordinary people for extraordinary opportunities. Well, let's continue on in the story. Mary has said in verse 20, oh, it tells us that Mary in verse 29 was deeply troubled. So let's pick it up in verse 30. It says, then the angel told her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. 
He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And Mary asked the angel, how can this be? I've not had sexual relations with a man. Second thing I want us to notice in this passage this morning is that God proposes plans that are humanly impossible. I mean, look at what the angel says to Mary. He comes to her and says, you are going to give birth, but not just that you're going to give birth. You're going to give birth to the son of the most high. I mean, wow. What a tremendous, extraordinary, scary opportunity that is. And so Mary asks what is the obvious question, doesn't she? How can this be? How can it happen? Let's be honest with ourselves. Many times when those opportunities come into our lives, when we look at them, they look more like walls than a way. They look more like a barricade than a blessing. They look more like an obstacle than an opportunity. We've all experienced that. We've all been there before. We see it in Scripture. We see it uh, as God was telling the, the Hebrew children, to, as you go into the promised land, you're going to go in there and you're going to capture this land and you're going to conquer this land that I've told you about and it's going to be yours. He said, but first, you've got to defeat the city of Jericho. Well, here's the opportunity, but there's a wall. Or even before that, as they're getting ready to enter the promised land, he tells them to go into the promised land and possess it, but there's a barrier there. It's the rushing, raging Jordan River. If we go back to when he called Moses to lead the children of Israel out, there was an obstacle there by the name of Pharaoh. Back about 15 years ago, when this church felt God leading us to relocate from 231 Chesterfield Avenue, a location that we had been in for almost 100 years, we felt God's leadership, but we looked at it and there was the wall of where do we find enough suitable land for a church our size? There was the barrier of the fact that we needed to sell that property before we could even get started. But we needed that property to meet in until we got this one built. And there was the obstacle of the fact that, yeah, we had qualified for a $4 million loan. And we needed $15 million. See, the opportunity was there, but... It looked like a wall. It looked like a barrier. It looked like an obstacle. God's plans are humanly impossible. But it's not just true in the big things. It's true in the everyday things. Think about some of these statements, some of these passages from Jesus. He says, If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, he says, 
turn the other cheek to him. Give him the other cheek. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. Even harder than that, he says, love your enemy and pray for him. He says, if you want to be first, well, first you've got to be slave to everyone else. You see, this living the Christian life is impossible. Humanly impossible. We're able to do it simply by the power of God, simply by the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Well, let's look on at the story. Mary has asked the question, how is this possible? In verse 35, the angel replies, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month for her who was called childless. For nothing will be impossible with God. Third thing I want us to glean out of this passage of Scripture is that God provides the power to accomplish His plan. Mary asked the question, how can this be? And the angel gave her the answer. He said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The answer was this, God will do it. How can it be? God will do it. And then he goes on to say, nothing is impossible with God. And that's a theme, that's that's a truth that's carried on throughout Scripture. Back when God, in Genesis chapter 18, was talking to Sarah and Abraham and telling them they were going to give birth to this child in their old, old age. God said, is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too difficult for me? Nothing is impossible with God. And then in Job, Job says, I know that you can do anything and that no one can stop you. And then in Matthew... Jesus himself said, humanly speaking, it is impossible. But with God, everything is possible. Dr. Tony Evans says that sometimes God allows us into situations that seem to have no possible solution so that we can discover that God is the solution. He's the solution to all of this. Our destinies, our purpose that God has called us to in life is often found in the challenges of life because it's in those challenges that we understand He is the solution. It is in those challenges that we understand where our strength comes from. It's in those challenges that we understand that we have to rely on Him completely and give Him honor and glory for everything that happens. So God provides the power to accomplish His plan. And then the question becomes, what are we going to do? And that's our fourth point. Our response is to believe God and to surrender to His plan. Let's look at one more verse in this passage. Verse 38. Mary says, I am the Lord's servant. 
May it be done to me according to your word. Then the angel left her. See, our destiny, our acceptance of our purpose in life is achieved and determined by whether or not we grasp those God-ordained opportunities that come our way. But sometimes our response is, but what if I'm scared to grab them? What if I'm scared to surrender to God? Or what if I'm scared that if I surrender to God, He's going to lead me in some direction and I'm real happy right here where I am? You see, we come up with all of these what ifs because we're unsure about it. But surrendering to God really involves trust. We're going to trust in God in all of this. You see, surrendering to God is not just about, okay, we'll give him these little events that are going on right now in our lives. But surrendering to God is being willing to follow him wherever he's going to lead you in this. It is being obedient to the leadership of God through the Holy Spirit in your life. It's recognizing that that God's story for your life is far better than any story you can come up with, that you can devise, that you can even imagine. God's story is going to top all of that. Mary said, I am the Lord's servant. In other words, what she said is, I surrender to God. Lord, let it be done to me according to your will. See, God positions us in just the right place at just the right time to carry out His purpose. I've said this to you before, but I think it bears saying again. Some of you need to stop praying to God to get you out of the situation you're in. And you need to start asking God what He wants you to get out of that situation that you're in. What does He want you to discover about Him? What does He want you to discover about yourself? What does He want you to do in that situation? I love this quote from Mark Batterson, who's pastor of National Community Church in Washington, D.C. And it's found in his book, Chasing the Wild Goose, which I love the title of that. But in it, he says, the only thing more dangerous than asking the question, God, what do you want for my life, is not asking the question. Not seeking to discover what God wants for your life. Living it under your own agenda. When was the last time you asked God, what do you want for my life? Maybe you're asking the question, why am I where I am? Well, for some of you, I'll be honest, that answer may be because you're running from God. You're in rebellion to God. You're in disobedience to God. And if that's the case, you need to turn back to God and get there as quick as you can. But for some of you, for others of you, you're in the place that you are because God has purpose for you. 
He is there because this is your opportunity. And you need to ask the question, God, what do you want for me and from me in this? But before we finish up, before we leave the passage of Scripture, I would be remiss if I didn't draw us back to think about the main thing about the passage. This passage is a story, as I said at the beginning, that is significant to all of Scripture. It's significant because it is a story of salvation. It is a story of God's work in humankind. God's work in this broken world. Our world is broken. It's broken by sin. It's broken by the choices we all make. But God is not through with it. God is working. And this whole story that is presented here is a story of that. It is the message of the gospel. It is the message that's summed up in John 3, 16, where it says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that everyone who believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's the main significance of this passage. We, never, we need to never miss and lose sight of that. It is a story of God's overwhelming love for you and for me and for his creation. It is a story of a God who loves us so much that he removed the wall and provided us a way. He removed the barrier of sin and provided us with a blessing. He removed the obstacle between us and Him and provided us with an opportunity, an opportunity to follow Him, an opportunity to be involved in what He wants to do in His creation in this world, but an opportunity also for us to be forgiven and for us to be released from our bondage and for us to be saved from our sins. That's the story that's happening here. You and I, who deserve death and separation from God, now have the opportunity to follow Him and to be redeemed. Galatians chapter 4 tells us that in the fullness of time, at just the right time, God sent His Son, born of a woman, Born under the law to redeem us from the law. And to give us the opportunity to experience adoption as his children. That's the message of the gospel. That's the message of this passion. Yes, the other that we've done is all true. But that's where you need to make sure you never lose sight of. Of what God's overwhelming love is revealed in this passage. And like Mary, I think we were left with the question, how can this be? How can those of us who deserve death, who deserve hell, who deserve separation from God, who deserve all of this condemnation, how are we able to be made right? How are we able to be forgiven? And the answer is the same that the angel gave to Mary. The answer is God. God provides the way. Romans 5, 8 says that God proves his love toward us in this. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us. 
This story is a story that tells us there is a way. It's found in John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. God has provided a way. He's removed the wall. He's removed the barrier. He's removed the obstacle. It is a story of the proclamation of Jesus Christ coming to earth. And when Jesus came to earth, he did three things. First of all, he identified with us. He came to earth in the form of a human, in the form of a man. He walked this earth, this broken world, the same world that we walk in, and yet he was not scathed by it. But he identified with us. And then the second thing he did is he took ownership. He went to the cross, died on the cross, and took on himself the judgment of sin that belonged to you and me. He says, I'll own it for them. And then he overcame. He overcame death. He overcame the grave. He overcame all of the physical limitations of this world that he might also heal his broken world. And so he provides to you the opportunity to experience all of that. He gives to you the opportunity that you can grasp this morning. Some of you this morning need to hear this. You need to grasp this opportunity as it comes before you. And that opportunity is you have the opportunity to identify with Christ. In other words, to identify with what he did for you when he went to the cross and paid the price for your sins. That he owned it. He took it so that you wouldn't have to. But you need to own your own responsibility. You need to own that you have sinned, that you're part of the problem. You're a sinner who needs God's rescuing. You're a sinner who needs God's grace. So you need to own that today. And as you identify with what he did and own your own and ask him into your heart to help you to overcome it, as he comes into your life and he begins to work in your life, you become an overcomer. And now you begin to have the ability to follow him, not because of you, not because of what you've done, not because of your power, for it's humanly impossible. But with God, nothing is impossible. And so God comes into your life. And gives you the ability to join with him in healing and restoring this broken world. But it begins in your heart and in your life. The opportunity is out there for you. Are you going to grasp it? God, what do you want for my life? Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we thank you. Thank you for such an overwhelming love. A love that provided a way when there was no way. A love that knocked down the barriers and removed the obstacles. A barrier that says, I love you so much. I'll own your condemnation. Father, how are we going to respond to God today? What do you want for us? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.